is a terrible thing to say, quit talking with each other. Quit having community. Because that's what the church should be doing, right? We should be blending in with each other. My name is Gary. I'm on staff here. have been for almost 20 years, and it's a privilege to be with you and very excited. This is what we're sharing with you in this month of January is almost two years in the making of praying and seeking God and asking Him for things. Very excited about this. This last fall, I had a great invitation from a very good friend of mine who's a professional and also a season ticket holder for the Oakland Raiders. And he said, pick a game. And so I said, oh my gosh. And so I picked my game and and off we were getting ready to go. Uh, You need to know as a kid, my father's company was in Oakland and we would go there all the time. I had season tickets as a kid. It had been 40 years since I'd been in the Oakland Coliseum cheering on the Raiders. But I was there in the glory days, the Ken Stabler, Daryl LaMonica, Otis Sistrunk. I can name them all, right? Dave Casper, on and on and on I go. Uh, But something's changed in the 40 years since I'd been in the Oakland Coliseum. Something has risen up in the 40 years. It's a thing called the Raider Nation. Does anyone know about that? Is anyone part of the Raider Nation? Okay. These are diehard fans who not only come to cheer the team, but dress up to cheer the team. So uh, this is a phenomenon, really. It's been written up of in tons. ESPN, Sports Illustrated, they've all done articles, not on the Raiders only, but the Raider Nation, their fans. So my wife was talking to me as I was getting ready to go with my friend Mike. We were on the sidewalk. I was waiting for my pickup for my professional friend. He's a lawyer by day, Raider Nation adherent by night. And they were saying, aren't you scared about this? I'm like, what? Mike was saying, aren't you afraid to go in that Coliseum? I'm like, no, I haven't been there in 40 years. It's going to be great. What about the Raider Nation? I'm like, no, 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 this guy's legit. I kid you not, as I'm saying that, up pulls his car, and it comes seemingly to a screeching halt. The door opens, and out jumps my friend, and he's dressed in a Derek Carr number four jersey. He has a throwback helmet on, and his face is silver and black all over. And he's like, let's go to the game! (laughs) And I turned to my friend Mike, and I said, pray for me. (laughs) And off we went. And I honestly would tell you, uh, it was an amazing experience. Amazing. Uh, The whole game was this gigantic and, truth be told, thrilling worship service, complete with Raider liturgy, Raider songs. There was Raider fellowship in the Raider pews, I mean stands. Um, We all knew by the end of the game, we knew the community around us, and it didn't matter where you were from, you were included just by being in the stadium. I was high-fiving people I didn't know, people hugged me that I didn't know. It was so wonderful to be embraced like that, and that was my first ever Raider worship experience. And there was Raider worship. We screamed, we raised our hands, we formed small groups, part of the thing, we ate, We talked back to players. Some people even talked back to the officials in vulgar terms. Uh, And it was an amazing thing. And no one thought that behavior was unusual. People called us fans. Now, if you transfer that kind of passion into most churches, can you imagine that? Why doesn't that happen? Why doesn't when Brian, I'm going to turn part of the sermon over to Brian. Why doesn't when he come up, we just don't bump each other and like (laughs) give each other a slap on the butt and high five each other? Why? Why? (laughs) But why is it when we're singing a song like what we've sang, Tabitha, thank you for leading us this morning. And there's worship. You just want to let go But we're concerned about how people view us. No one in the Raider Nation was concerned about how people viewed them. 
You turn that passion to a church, you're not a fan, you're a fanatic. See, it's almost as if we think it's appropriate to get excited, it's appropriate to be enthusiastic. And I'm not equating passion only with exuberance. I'm not saying that. But you've got to agree with me. The, the mindset is you can have passion for anything in life except Jesus. That's the mindset out there. Why is that? When it comes to following Christ, here's my question for us today. How much passion is required? Can one be too passionate in their quest to be obedient to Jesus? Is passion reserved just for this gathering? Or can passion exist on the remaining 10,005 minutes of our week? What does that look like? How is that lived out? That's what we're going to talk about today. 51 years ago, I'm sorry, 1951, 65 years ago, in a Burlingame living room, 22 followers of Jesus met, and they came before God with a big ask. Now, remind you, let me remind us all, they had no professional clergy. They didn't have 14.8 acres. They had no defined strategy, no budget. They didn't even have staff. You know who the first pastor of PCC was? It was a 19-year-old Stanford student who was a Stanford student by day, pastor on the weekends. True story. They just came with passion that God was calling them to bring a new kind of church to the peninsula in 1951, a church where we would go to where the people are, not just open our doors and expect the people to come to us. The founder of that group uh, is an insurance salesman. His name's Carl, and I had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Carl. would call him. He'd call me. I'd go down and visit him in Santa Barbara, and to his dying day, he died at 95. Two months before he died, we had a phone conversation. And this is passion. He, he always thought my name was Jerry. <laughs> and in 95, I wasn't going to change that, okay? But his last conversation, I didn't know it would be our last conversation, but it was his last, to me, dying words. Jerry, go to where the people are. Go to where the people are. That's what PCC has always been. Are you going to the people? Passion for Christ. So we're spending the whole month to cast a new vision for what passion would look like in our day and asking God to recapture in us that living room vision. Our vision for the future is actually rooted in the past in that living room and what took place. And we've been looking at the, uh, the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 11. And we've unearthed three things that we see in that church. Actually, today's the third. And let's look at this. The first thing we saw is they prioritized also over only. And on that note, I, made a, I just made a call out that I love knit caps, and someone knit me a cap with PCC colors on it. How do I look? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, thank you for that information. I love this. Uh, they prioritize all, also over only. They pursued the Lord with wholehearted, this was last week, all in devotion. And then we're going to see in verse 26 today, the third ingredient that's critical. It's critical to us, it's critical to them. Jesus was central in every area of their lives. Grab your notes and turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Acts 11, it's also on, the, on your message notes. You can turn in your Bibles or on your cell phones. Look what it says. Barnabas went to go find Paul. Look what it says in verse 26, right at the top of your notes. When he found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church. Now note what it doesn't say. They didn't meet in a church. 
Our vision is the same as what the vision was in uh, 1951. The church is not a building. I'll say it this way. I've said it before. You are the greatest asset to the ministry of PCC. You're more valuable than I am to the ministry of PCC. Wholehearted disciples with an also mentality, living for Jesus in every area and every arena, fueled by the Holy Spirit. That's the greatest asset at PCC. Greater than this campus, greater than this building, greater than any staff. It's you. They met with the church and taught a great many people. Now here's the one line I'm going to take and I'm going to toss it to Brian. Look at this. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? They were first called what? That word appears only three times in the Bible. It's never used by adherents or followers of Jesus. The word Christian is always an outside term to label the community of faith. Don't miss this. You ready? And it's always a derogatory term. See, the Antiochians, we think you know, political correctness reigns here. Political correctness was all over Antioch. If anyone stepped outside the norm, they would be put down in any other arena. And so here's these followers of Jesus who just can't stop overflowing with Jesus through their actions, through what they love, through who they worship. And the outsiders don't know what to do with it, and so they put them down. The word Christian comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed one, Messiah. Okay, And so they called them, in a derogatory term, there's the little Christs. And it wasn't pleasant. As a matter of fact, it was a formal crime. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, by the time this got to Rome, it was a formal crime to be a Christian. And Paul talks about that in 1 Peter 4, 16. But they did it anyway. Why? Because they were so passionate about Jesus. They just got the nickname Christian, little Christ ones, Messiahists. Now, regardless of our name, PCC, don't you know we have a reputation in this community? I wonder what the nickname the people in the community would label over us. I wonder what the nickname people in your community would label over you and what people in my community would label over me. Because if 95% of the people on this peninsula aren't attending a church, we don't need to build greater and a bigger church at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard. we got to adhere to what Carl Johansson continually told that senior pastor, Jerry Gadini. Go to the people. Go to the people. I wonder if they label us as good Deedians. I wonder if we're known as help the schoolians. And I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm just raising the question. I wonder if they know us as the religionists, judgmentalists. Ultimately, our future doesn't exist on us living into any of those nicknames. Our future lives in to being the people saturated, center on Jesus in every area of our life. And the way we act, breathe, move, talk, all that. I want you to know with all my heart that what we're about to share in today and in the coming weeks, what's in those vision boxes, is something that rests on this one axiom. And this is different than a lot of churches. We're banking everything that the key that God's going to use in the community is you, the people of PCC. Being wholehearted for Jesus, empowered by Jesus, and infusing hope in the DNA of the community like never before. 
That's why our vision we're going to build out next week, and it's in the vision boxes. We want you to go into living rooms and hear about this, pray about this. It's so audacious, it's crazy. Is what's going on here at 3560, the vision is to take what we have here at the best and to plant it down in the city. A year ago, we started a prototype in the gym and just wondered, are we ready for a new type of gathering? I need you to know, like this morning, that gym is at capacity. And this is well at capacity. For church growth people, we're full. I know you see a lot of red and what have you, but we're full. And 855 is going good. And what we're wondering is, that, that service in the gym has doubled in size in a year. People have met Christ who never knew Christ before, who never stepped into a foot of a church ever in their life. Grown adults are meeting Jesus all over this ministry. And what we're saying is this. If God is moving 20,000 people downtown in Redwood City, maybe we don't need to build a bigger and better church here. Maybe we need to plant the community of faith down there. And just like a year ago, we challenged 100 people from PCC to meet and gather in the gym. And this morning, close to 270 people were in that gym worshiping Jesus, many of whom didn't have a church home, never met Christ before. We believe that if we plant and ask 75 people from PCC to go downtown, the same thing's going to happen. And then we replicate another site, and more people are going to meet Christ, and another site, and more people are going to meet Christ. So by the end of 2017, what we will offer people is an 855 gathering, a site here, a 905 gathering in the gym, an 11 o'clock gathering here, and downtown we'll have a vibrant community gathering right where people can walk to. Because the downtown plan has been created, all those apartments have been created with the knowledge and thought that people don't need a car, that they can live their whole life downtown. And I just don't think God would bring 20,000 people to PCC without them knowing about the love and hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah, I'll tell you much more about that later. But what does that look like? What does it rest on? Here's what it rests on. Everyone hear me clearly. It rests on the people of God being Christians, little Christ, wherever we are. What does that look like? Brian's going to share that right now. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. (laughs) Thanks, Jerry, for almost killing me, you fanatic. The reality is the label of Christianity isn't what has power. If you go back to the Church of Antioch, sure, they, they labeled them Christians. And think of us, supposedly we are Christians our faith in Christ. But that's, that's not what made them powerful. And they were powerful because you're going to hear Gary at the very end today talk about what if they hadn't done what they ended up doing. It wasn't the label, it was how they lived it out. And in this day and age, I think that's actually um, the strongest thing we can do and has the most power. It's how we live it out. And if you think about teams, organizations, and movements that have success, seem to at some point identify, hey, this is how we're going to live. Now, I'm not a Marine, and I even hate talking about the armed forces because I'm unqualified for that. I didn't have the experience. But when you come down to and you talk about the Marines, the Marines were about honor 
and courage and commitment. And it's gotten us pretty far. It's what enables us in one way to have religious freedom. And those values have done an amazing thing to bond a group of men and women that have really done something phenomenal in providing for us. Just those three words. You look at, take it a little lighter, the warriors, not people with spears, but people with basketballs. The warriors have actually have some values. Joy, mindfulness, compassion, commitment. And that has carried them. They talk about that joy piece. This needs to be fun as we go. They play with joy, and that's taken them a long way. And so if, when you look at the church of Antioch, I think uh, they show us some key values that are worthy of us holding on to. And if we hold on to those, then we do become this movement of hope together. And that's where we are, stronger together. So what I want us to do right now is to actually do a values assessment of just our own lives. I'm going to show you six values that the Church of Antioch lived out and that we want to grab onto and make our mainstay. And I want you to figure out where you are because that helps us figure out where we are. And here's what I know. I'm not good at some of these. (laughs) Others I'm wired more naturally for. And I think that's how God's made us in the image of him. In some ways, these come naturally. In other, other ways, our flesh and our brokenness hinders us from that. And we need his power. And in the end, don't try this on your own. You know when they say on TV, don't do this at home? Don't try this at home? Don't try this at home. Don't try to live out these values on your own because it'll either end in self-condemnation or self-glorification. God actually wants to birth these within us as individuals because that's part of him making us more and more like Jesus. It's always an us journey with him. We as independent Western Bay Area people always make it about being independent. So this is where this is really hard. I give you a list like this, and you're like, I can do this. I'm like, oh, don't start there. Start with, God help me. I trust this is what's best for me and for us, and if we, and could we be Antioch? What if that was our code term together? How's your Antioch going? Playing Antioch? I like to say playing kingdom. You playing kingdom today, or you playing earth? Playing Antioch, or just playing your own game? Let's take a look at these. You have them on your sheet. Look at the first one, living the word of God. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. I would not be here today unless I went to a man's house at 6 a.m. in the early 90s, and he taught me the Old Testament while his daughter watched Disney videos. He was passionate about living out the word of God and conveying the word of God, and he taught me the word of God. I'm utterly grateful. It changed everything. I realize this is one of the values that I'm most passionate about and that I just love to try to do, to bring the word of God and make it be something that you can integrate and do in your life. Oh, it reminds me of that passage in James. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It reminds me when Gary uses the 95% number, if 95% of those around us are not accessing the word of God, either in a worship setting or on their own, that means we are the word of God to them. 
Hence, living out the word of God is worth getting out of bed every day and trying to do with him. Not on your own, with him. What's neat is, if we just had this conversation today and it ended, you might be inspired, but we'd probably never get anywhere. And we'll never get anywhere unless we keep having the conversation about, are we living like Antioch? And in your, in your box that you'll receive today, you get these cards of discussion that I would say you put on your table to have a discussion at dinner time, or maybe where you sit in your chair in the morning when you sit with God, or at your bedside table, or put them on your dashboard. Maybe not. But, um, and listen to this first one. This is about living the word of God. What do you have for me in your word, Lord, in this particular season of my life? If the word of God is alive and active, which I believe it is, it speaks to us if we sit and let it hover over us and in us. And so that would be one way. That'd be, that's just one of the questions you could kind of integrate to help you uh, live the word of God more. Look at this next one, following the Holy Spirit. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. We need people as we move together as a movement of hope that are hearing from the Spirit of God and saying, yes, there, not there. We should. We need people that are speaking to us because they're hearing the Spirit of God and saying, have you thought about this? We need to allow the Spirit of God to stir, be stirred in us so that more love, more patience, more kindness, more of the fruit of the Spirit come from us. Just like it says in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. The card in your box, or one of the cards in your box says this, how are you leading me to follow you today, God? That'd be a question you could walk off with. Yesterday was a rainy, dreary day, and I had to drop my son off at 5 a.m., and I came back, and I sure went to bed, and I stayed up, and then I was no good for the rest of the day, and I just wanted to be by myself. Can anybody relate? But it was about mid-morning, and I was like, I got to kind of show up here, and God help me, and I was having time with God, and the word came up, engage. Like, get out of your room and go engage. And I believe that was the Spirit of God. Tell me to move on, away from myself, to play a little Antioch, to play a little kingdom. Practicing healthy relationships, we need this. It's the next one they're found doing. When we arrived, this is Barnabas, and saw the grace of God had done, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he encouraged them. You do not realize how many of you have spurred me on because of your actions and your encouragement. When you forgive somebody, that helps me forgive somebody. When I hear how you were gracious to somebody, I go, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how I need to be to somebody. When you reach out to somebody, and I see you reach out to somebody, and I hear about you reaching out to somebody, I go, yeah, that's, that's who I should be about. That's healthy relationships. And those are challenging. I think it's one of the hardest ones. I ebb and flow in this one. Living the word of God, I'm jazzed about. Healthy relationships, okay, yeah, I ebb and flow in that. Just come live with me. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bear with one another. How about this next one? They're caught sharing Jesus. They valued it. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Syrian, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. They weren't ashamed of the gospel. For us, we get all mixed up. We're worried we're going to be a freak, okay, to somebody, or we're going to offend somebody. So we don't do anything. Does 
that make sense? Verse, there's something about Jesus and God that you like and you've tasted and it's touched you. What if that's all you're called to do is to share that slice of the kingdom pie with somebody else? And what if it's not about being offensive and being a freak, but realizing there's people that like you and you like them and they're spiritually interested and so naturally you end up sharing your honest heart about it. That's how it kind of began with me. I found men who I liked, they liked, I was spiritually interested and had questions and they had answers I'd never heard of before. It could be that simple. How about seeking social justice? They did this. The disciples in Antioch, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They lived out Matthew. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. To be honest, I want you to mark today two you're strong at and one that's your weakest. This is my weakest. We do those things called beautiful day where we'd go do extreme makeovers. I come by obligation. I'll just be honest. That doesn't naturally work for me. We go to Mexico and, and other places. That's the hardest thing for me. I'm not most natural in those settings. I often get there and go, what's my role here? I'm better one-on-one. I don't like the paint. So I end up at the donut table talking to people. <laughs> and then I see you all, and I see how fired up you get. And I do like uh, shoveling tan bark. That's fun with kids. I can do that well. And I find my place. But I grew up never seeking social justice. It wasn't part of the mantra of my family of origin. It wasn't bad or good. We just didn't. Does that make sense? Maybe you relate to it like me. Maybe it's like the next one. These people in Antioch were generous. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending gifts. This has been a growing edge for me, and it's a regrowing edge. I found out early on that God wanted me to release my gifts and my funding to certain things, and I realized in order to do that, you have to be very organized and with your money, and so that kind of worked out after a while, and then we did, and then I didn't really think about it, and it was more kind of religious than my heart. But in the end... I started to get freed up again. But now I find as my kids are in college and it seems like we need the most money ever, I want to hold it all tight. So I'm back to wrestling with that one again. Will you take a moment, circle your top two, mark the one that is the hardest for you. I'm going to give you about half a minute to do that. And as you do that, I'm going to invite Gary back up just to finish this up. I'll hear you one last thought on the Church of Antioch. I see so many similarities in Acts 11 with this Antioch church in us today at PCC. 
Acts 11 uh, at Antioch Church, uh, they were in the third largest urban center in the known Roman Empire. We're in the fourth largest urban center in the known United States. Antioch Church was a church that was birthed in a primarily Gentile region. So are we. Antioch Church was on a trade route. What went through Antioch went to the world. What comes through this valley, technology-wise, biotech-wise, other areas goes to the world. We influence the world. The Antioch church depended on nothing. They had no buildings. They had no budget. They just saw Jesus changing their lives, and they spread that, the knowledge of Christ, everywhere they went. If there was no Antioch, the gospel wouldn't have jumped to the Gentiles. We wouldn't have that record. It would just be a primarily Jewish sect. If there was no Antioch, you need to know this. The book of Luke and the book of Acts doesn't get written. Because not only was it written in Antioch, it was written by Luke, who's the only Gentile writer in the New Testament who was led to Christ in Antioch. If Antioch doesn't exist, the Church of Romans doesn't exist. Because Paul wrote that letter to a church that was thriving before any missionary ever went to Rome. What happened? Most theologians, theologians believe people came through Antioch met Christ on their way to Rome and just leaked Jesus all over. And in Rome, a church popped up and grew. Without Antioch, the Corinthians don't exist. Galatians doesn't exist. Ephesians doesn't exist. Thessalonians doesn't exist. Revelation 2 and 3 doesn't even exist because those seven churches don't exist. Because Antioch gave their greatest resource, the Apostle Paul, to go on mission, and he planted every single one of those churches. They had nothing when they started. They were put down and mocked, and within six chapters, read it for yourself, Acts 17.6, you know what happened with the church of Antioch? They were known as the people who turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. My friends, I want to tell you it can happen again today through us. And we believe God is calling us to leverage our credibility in the city and our people that gather and everything we have to reach the thousands of people that God's bringing to this great city and beyond. And what would happen? We have no idea. I'm convinced the Antiochs didn't know they were going to plant all those churches. They just followed Jesus one step at a time. Tabitha, come on up. And we're going to sing, and then we're going to pray together and, and launch us from here. But let me pray for us right now. Father, while the word is misaligned again in our day, and while there's a million different definitions of it, we would be honored if in the heavenly realms we were known as Christians, as little Christs, people saturated, centered on, leaking everywhere the values, the life, the power, the love, the compassion of Jesus. And God, as we talk about passion, I know, I know what that means to you. It just simply means obedience. May we be passionate followers of yours everywhere we go. God, I believe, like I said last week, the issue isn't the 75 minutes on a Sunday. Our challenge, my challenge, is the 10,005 minutes the rest of the week. And that's where it's needed the most. Help us believe again that those values that Brian talked about, that we can become that in you, that you want to birth that in and through us. Humble us. As we go forward with loaves and fishes, watching you multiply us and feed the masses. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.